Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson, and I am here with my co-host... Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth Shaby. Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I hope everyone had a good week, a good 4th of July week. Absolutely. We took the week off. Yes, we did. But we're back this week. We're going to discuss two different Beatitudes this week. One from last week and then one from this week. Who is blessed this week, James? We have blessed are. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not reading the King James Version, you know. In the King James Version, it's blessed. <laughs> I was feeling old-fashioned. <laughs> well, this week we got uh, the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So let's start with uh, a conversation about uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is just to keep us in in context with what we've been doing. We're kind of looking at these as a uh, seven-step process to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the fourth step. And so this comes directly after blessed are those who are meek or humble. Um, So the first step being blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For those those who are poor in self, those who have um, emptied themselves of themselves and, and have allowed the process to begin uh, blessed are those who cu- who are, who mourn, who have who have repented, confessed, have have mourned what they used to be, mourned what they've lost, mourned what they've given up, and all those different ways in which we talked about mourning, and now have found themselves in a position where they are humble, ready to receive, uh, ready to move forward in that direction. So, if you think about it in terms of a, a person who has emptied themselves of themselves, they have sat with the the pieces of their former life and they have uh mourned that and and now they are in this humble position you're not in that position very long this empty position very long before you start to grumble a little bit and you start to hunger for something something's got to fill that void that has now been left um by these first three steps of uh of the beatitudes and so as jesus says here you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness do you think that we naturally hunger and thirst for righteousness or do we just hunger and thirst well i think i think we do naturally hunger and thirst okay do we naturally metaphorically hunger and thirst for righteousness (laughs) um no i think I i think we don't uh, I think that's one of the things like I don't think you can hunger and thirst for righteousness like truly truly desire them as desire righteousness as something that you need to live uh, something that you need in order to to face your day to face the world to be a disciple like these things uh, righteousness is not something that we naturally in in our now in the state that we that we find ourselves in we do not naturally we not naturally hunger and thirst for that. We only hunger and thirst for it now that we have emptied ourselves of ourselves and have found ourselves in this, in this uh, emptied position. Which goes back to this whole thing being a process and this being all, they're not one offs. This is, it's essential that we read all these together. Exactly. Because they mean different things taken alone versus 
together. Right. And this is the low point. This is the val- what we might call the valley, the dark night of the soul. We might call this a lot of different things, but it's it's the midway point, the low point in in the in the beatitudes. We've got the three before, and we're going to have three that come after. And this middle one is the one that that leaves you in the state that you you are in lack, you are in need, and you recognize you're in lack and need. But now, having surrendered yourself and having mourned and and, and left that behind, you are now in a position where. You are humble and you don't want to fill yourself back up with yourself. Right. Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's not just being in need. It's being in need and realizing that I can't satisfy me. Right. Right. So it's not just hunger and thirst. It's a particular hunger and thirst. Like that moment when you are hungry and you walk into the kitchen and you open up the fridge and you're just sitting there and nothing is quite right. Right. And you know, someone tells you like, well, you're not actually hungry. You need water. You're like, oh, but that doesn't really sound good. You know, have you ever heard that before where you're like, when you have the munchies, it's really because you're, you know, you need water, but it doesn't feel like that. Right. You know, you're just like, you just feel like you're hungry and nothing is quite right. Right. Especially nothing that's in the pantry or the fridge. Right. Yeah. Right. Or like when you get the feeling that you really need a Mexican pizza from Taco Bell. Right. And then they take it off the menu for months and months and you can never be satisfied until... And by a miracle of the Lord, it returns one day, unexpectedly, and satisfaction happens. Is that what it feels like to find Jesus? (laughs) It is a sense in which, uh, in this particular stage of becoming a disciple, you you are just now becoming aware that you truly do need Jesus, right? That you truly do need to be righteous, uh, which means to be in right relationship, right? To be in right relationship with God as well as with our neighbor. And so you didn't know that before now. And this is also one of those turning points where sometimes people get to this point and they turn back and go back toward building up their own house, building up their own self, uh, and begin to fill themselves. Because at this point in the process, you are truly empty. If If you've made it this far, you are empty, and you will begin to hunger and thirst. What Jesus is saying here is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness rather than for the world or for themselves or, or desire just to fill themselves with whatever they can find in the fridge, right? Or whatever menu item might be at Taco Bell, right? It's a true and genuine like direction of, of hunger and thirst, a direction of need and, and what can fulfill and satisfy that need. And you define righteousness as being in right relationship. Yeah, I think that's... With... With God... Just God? And with neighbor. And with with others, yeah. So I am in a place where I'm desiring to be in right relationship with God and with all those around me. And in fact, I mean, you are for the first time in a place where you can actually do that, where you can actually where you can actually desire righteousness, you know, because before, before we empty ourselves, before we go through the process that we got, got, that got us to this place, we weren't capable of righteousness. We weren't capable of, of doing that because we were too full of self, right? If we're full of self, we're never going to hunger for righteousness. If we're full of self, we're never going to thirst for that living water, for the, for the relationship with God, with Jesus, with neighbor that truly begins to rebuild who we are into the image of God. reading a book and I don't remember what it was now but um, I was reading a a chapter in a book about 
God trying to teach the Israelites uh, the lesson that, you know, man cannot live by bread alone. Yeah. Right. Like you must live on the word of God and how God spent 40 years trying to teach these people this one lesson. Right. They're in the wilderness. He's sending manna down every day, trying to get them to rely not on themselves, not on the bread, but on God. Right. Right. And how important that lesson must be, because that's like that's the lesson that he tried to teach them. God tried to teach them for 40 years. Yeah. For a whole generation. Right. I mean, you're not really doing you're not even really doing anything else. You're just trying to live and learn that lesson. It's pretty important. It's really important. Right. And I think that's that's a great way to go back to because that's exactly that lesson, the the manna in the wilderness lesson, that you have to rely on God to provide this daily bread, is what makes this particular beatitude, those who hunger, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, perfectly parallel with the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. This is why I think these two passages are, are intentionally paralleling one another. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, he doesn't mean that. He means that in both the sense of we need food. Right. But really what he means, even more so than that, is give us this day our ability to rely on you and you alone. Yeah. Give us this day our recognition. You know, give us the, the, the realization that we have to have you to be satisfied, not only to be satisfied, but to survive and then to thrive as the people of God. And that, that looks like righteousness. Yeah. You don't seem convinced. And I think, no, I was just thinking about in that very practical example, the food that God gives them, the manna, is not the thing they thrive off of. That's the thing. The literal food is the thing that they survive off of. But right, like, right. this is not tasty. It's not wonderful. You know, like, right. it's not anything fancy. No. It's just basic. And that's... Simple. Yeah, basic and simple. simple. Yeah. We don't feed ourselves that way metaphorically or literally no you're right about that and that that kind of hints on what you know when jesus quotes that passage uh when he's being tempted in the wilderness when he's being tested in the wilderness uh and you know and 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 the accuser satan shows up and and basically says you know you got to be hungry he's been out there for 40 days right Right. no no coincidence there Mm -hmm. he's been out there for 40 days uh and he's hungry and and the tempter's like, hey, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus quotes that passage. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that falls from the mouth of God. And that's exactly right. So they don't survive. They survive on the manna, but they thrive on the word. Right? And I think that's that's what, that's the whole point here is that Jesus is saying, and that's part of the right relationship, right? That's That's what righteousness is, is thriving on the word. The word of God being Jesus Christ. Yeah. I was reading this article in the um, the image most recent um, issue of the Image Journal, and uh, this the author was quoting uh, "Democracy in America" by, oh, by uh, Jeffrey. Nope, Alexis de de Tocqueville. Yeah, okay. I was hoping you were going to take that for me. I don't pronounce that. I don't know if that's right. Alexi yeah, well, Alexi de Tocqueville. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Just hey, just say it with confidence, and you've got it. <laughs> I, he's. I'm going to read this because yeah. it's interesting. Um, that uh, Alexis defines civic associations as not only the touchstone of collective problem solving, but also the anecdote to individualistic myopia and absorption. Um, And then this is a direct quote. The only way opinions and ideas can be renewed, hearts enlarged and human minds developed is through the reciprocal influence of men upon each other. 
this is he's writing this in 1840 so you know he says men but humans upon each other um i think that's interesting like you know this idea that we we fill up on the literal food we eat we fill up on the things around us and we miss out on filling up on what like relationships can do but i feel like that's what these israelites like that's what they're learning right this is part of this process like relying on god pursuing right relationship with each other and like god's going to give you the basics of what you need to survive only the basics like the very basics again this is not anything fancy so so that you can spend that energy focusing on right relationship with people around you and it's going to feed you in a way that that even the most extravagant meal can never do yeah um, and, and, you know, that, that also ex- speaks to why in the Old Testament, as well as in the New, one of the dominant images of the kingdom of God come is, is a feast, right? Is a feast with a bunch of people sitting around a table so that you get not only do you get the, uh, the fellowship and the bread that you need to, to, to uh, feed that, that starvation that we have for social con- contact, for social uh, development and, and fellowship, but then you also get this beautiful feast that is that is abundance, right? That is not just what you need, but it is is representative of what you have received through the right relationship that you have with God oh. and with your neighbor. Hmm. So it's that there's no there's no um, coincidence there. It's not an accident that Jesus constantly uses the feast, the wedding feast metaphor, to talk about the kingdom, and those images are all throughout, you know, the uh, the Old Testament as well. That is interesting to think about. Um, I'm imagining like a culture of people, right? Like the Israelites, the Jewish folks, people that have that like deep in their heritage, thinking about wandering in the wilderness and being fed by manna. And I mean, it's, you know, again, it's, it's surviving on food. You're not thriving on the literal food. And then Jesus walks in and offers these abundant images of feasting. Yeah. What a contrast. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and that's what's, that is what's on offer for us today. It's not even something that's always in the future. Um, it's something that we can, we can feast like that in fellowship with God and with neighbor with the hope that one day we'll all be feasting literally together. Uh, if, we can, if we can truly live on what we have now, if we can live on our daily bread now, provided by the Lord on that, on that dependence that we have on God. And be in right relationship with each other because no one wants to sit at a table with someone they're not in right relationship with. Absolutely. like this leads us into our next beatitude right being merciful to each other that's right so the next beatitude that we want to talk about then is is you know how do you how are you in right relationship exactly how are you in right relationship with uh with god and with neighbor well you're in right relationship with god by being in right relationship with neighbor what does that look like it looks like how god is in relationship with us which is to say merciful yeah blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy so if we think about what mercy means i think mercy correlates with the term justice and mm. the prophets were always talking about 
the reason why God is doing what God is going to do, whether good or bad, is because of, of the justice and righteousness, of justice and righteousness of the people of Israel. You have not practiced justice and righteousness. Those two terms always together. You have not practiced justice and righteousness, so you're going into exile into Babylon. You have not practiced justice and righteousness, so I'm tearing you from the land. You know, or you have practiced justice and righteousness, you will be blessed, you will, you will flourish. Uh, we get both those images in the Old Testament. And here Jesus, I think, is using both, but he's using them in an interesting and in, in kind of a, a, a new way. The righteousness piece we get in the hunger and thirst beatitude. But now he talks about mercy. Yeah, I don't think, I don't define justice the same way as mercy. I don't either, but I don't either. That's because you and I have have learned justice uh, in, a, in, a, in a worldly kind of way. We When we think of justice, we think of... Um, the, the traditional kind of uh, the traditional way of thinking about justice is to say you get what you deserve. Right, justice shall be served. Yeah. Right, like you get you did what a bad you deserve. Whatever it is, you, whether it's good or bad, whether you. it's good or bad, justice means you get what's coming to you. What 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 you have a right to? Yeah. What you are entitled to? What you uh, what you deserve? And here Jesus gives us a glimpse of what the justice of God looks like, which is mercy, and that's when you don't receive what you deserve, yeah. when you are forgiven, when you are. Uh, when you are uh, set free rather than put in captivity, when you are allowed to flourish when you should have been punished. Um, and that, that's a glimpse of the justice of God, what we also call grace. And so I like to think of mercy as like a human shadow of a divine image, which is to say that God has grace and we have mercy. It's the, it's the closest thing that we can have or do to get to God's grace in our lives. When God gives us something that we do not deserve, which is the definition of grace, that looks like mercy. And it's something that we can practice on a, on a, on a daily basis, uh, not just as individuals, but as, as a people, as disciples of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? Again, so I think one thing it looks like is the way, again, that it parallels the Lord's Prayer. Because right after, give us this day our daily bread, what does he say? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. So that's what it looks like to be merciful. Number one, we forgive other people their trespasses. We forgive other people their sins. This gets back to, again, you cannot even get to that point until you started with being poor in self. Where you're being poor in self and you're meek. You're in a place where you're not easily offended. You're not, uh, you know, you're, you're being filled with right relationship with God. Now, right relationship with neighbor. You, you can't even begin to truly forgive trespasses until you get to a place where you don't even feel trespassed upon. Like that's not, that's not the big thing in your yeah. life. That's not the thing that absorbs your thoughts. The closest heart. thing I can equate that with is imagining, assuming the best of someone or like trying to assume that their motivation was not intentional to hurt me. Right. That's the closest I can get to that. Does that track? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Basically. Yeah. Right. That's the, I think that's the, mo the closest thing I can get in my imagination to like trying not to be offended by whatever, horrible dumb thing that you just did yeah. you know that yeah. seems completely ridiculous to me and you know unimaginable unimaginable sure is to try and like imagine that yeah give you the benefit of the doubt that your intention was not as terrible as it clearly Abs definitely was absolutely you know? well and i think i think 
I think most people's intention, this is true of me, and I think this is where we where we all start out before we begin this process, and you know, and every day when we have to restart the process is, my intention is to serve me and yeah. do what I want to do and, and live in the world that I want to live in. And if that happens to hurt you, you're collateral damage in that world. So I didn't intend to hurt you. I just intended to be me and do me and do whatever I want. And that's where we get in trouble. Right. That's, you know, obviously the selfishness is the drive of, of all the evil. Right, and because then what is so bad about me being me? Right, that's that's, that's what the what world tell you. I mean, right. remember Aladdin? Be yourself, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we're taught by the world is just be who you are. Be who you are and be you and be strong and, and do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And to a certain degree... That's absolutely true, but you have to be who you are in Christ Jesus and not who you are in James Johnson or in Elizabeth Shavey. And that becomes a process that's, that is seven steps long, right? It becomes right. a process of, of, of being sanctified with the Holy Spirit so that who you actually are can come out. Who you actually are, which is someone who has been designed and created in the image of God, can begin to shine the light and love of Christ that's already already in there if we can just get out of the way uh, and then it gets it gets set aflame uh, you know by the Holy Spirit and that that's what faith is that's what this whole thing is about right it's not just so often we talk about what it means to be a disciple or a Christian as man I'm, I'm saved I'm not going to go to hell I'm going to heaven when I die man Jesus I don't think Jesus could be less concerned about those things what he really wants what God really wants for us is not just that we get a cookie at the end of this project, but that we truly embrace and know the freedom that we that we have when we become who we actually are. It's the only way that we'll ever find peace and feel and feel any of the joy that that comes with Jesus Christ. It comes with with the kingdom of God. It's not about being rewarded. It's about being rebuilt. And there's something there's something that he's getting at here. Those who show mercy are those who are now mimicking God. They are those who are imitating God on the highest level of what it looks like to, to show the justice of God, which is mercy. Giving without giving what people, giving to people what they do not deserve in, a, in the positive sense of that, right? Giving people things that they do not deserve. Showing mercy can mean also mean showing generosity. It can mean going above and beyond It really is. It really is to look at our neighbor. To show mercy is to look at our neighbor, whether they be um, somebody that we know or somebody who just happens to be right in front of us. Is to look at our neighbor through the eyes of God and say, "Well, what would God do for this person? Well, what would God say or think about this person?" Uh, and, and then trying our best to do that again, not just as an individual, although that's important, but as a community. Cultural language that we have, I, I do think that is where we get tripped up. That makes a lot of sense because it's not it's more about being who God has called you to be. Like you need to be like God, be who God called you to be, who God made you to be. But that is not the thing that we are drawn to or the thing that makes us the most comfortable. Yeah. Because I think of just being myself as very comfortable, right? Like it's just whatever's going to come naturally to me, whatever feels right, whatever feels good, like just be yourself, right? Yeah. But that's not the same thing. It's not about it's being not comfortable at all. at all. In fact, it's probably about being very uncomfortable well, and discerning about. what God is calling you to do.
Like eventually I would assume there's a big level of comfort, but that's not the natural comfort that we are drawn to on a daily basis. Absolutely. As human beings, right? well, I, and I think that, I think that's built right in here to the Beatitudes, right? Not only does he say right here in the middle that you're going to hunger and thirst. And that's not just, that's not, <laughs> those are uncomfortable things to be, being hungry and being thirsty. That's, that's not comfortable. You got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not something that's just going to come easy. Yeah. Right. There's going to be a hunger and a thirst. Like you, you're going to be driven to be righteous, uh, in a way that you are driven to eat food and drink water. You know, it, it, it's something that that is going to hurt. It's something that's going to cause you spiritual pain, uh, and something that may even cause you physical pain. And then he ends this whole thing as as we'll see later on with persecution. Right. right? Like the world is not going to respond well to somebody who is truly hungry and thirsting after righteousness, to somebody who is always merciful. Yeah. I mean, the world isn't going to respond well to that, if only because it demonstrates to the world how far away from God they actually are. And that's kind of, that's one of the main purposes that we have. Jesus is going to say later in the Beatitudes, or right after the Beatitudes, I should say, that you are the city on the hill, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. These are things that we are because we're showing the world that they're not. You know, we, if, if we truly are the church, if we truly, uh, if we truly go through this process together and become the peacemakers that we're designed to be, then there's a reflection problem for the world there because we're showing them, you know, just as, and we're showing ourselves, you know, on a daily basis, right, as much yeah. as we are still part of the world. But, um, th I mean, this is our call. This is our mission. This is what Israel was supposed to be the city on a hill. This is what yeah. Abraham was. And this is what, uh, this is what the church is. A city on a hill but we have to be in order to do that we have to have that we have to go through the hunger pains of, of being a disciple and we have to show mercy so what's our what's our beatitude for next week so next week we'll be looking at the pure in heart the pure in heart the sixth step of becoming a disciple of jesus christ Ooh, purity, the, big word. The trend, well, then we're going to talk about what purity means and what it means to be pure in heart, but also the transition from mercy to pure in heart, I think, is, is um, how do you become pure in heart, I think, is by showing mercy. But we'll talk about that next week. Okay, well, interesting. But, uh, great conversation today, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for letting me be here. Folks, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.